From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And our topic for this edition is infertility among U.S. military couples. And joining me by telephone from New York State, Kimberly Colby of the United States Marine Corps. Kimberly, welcome. Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate you having me. We're so glad to have you. And uh, this is an issue that uh, affects, you know, the population at large, but also uh, couples in the military, the uh, dilemma of infertility. Um, Kimberly Colby, tell me a little bit about your uh, personal familiarity with this issue. Sure. Um, So my husband and I... uh, we're both active duty when we were married in December of 2015, and uh, we were open to life. Um, of course, we attributed troubles conceiving because Mark was uh, on a fast attack submarine for its first tour, so he was frequently gone. And we really pursued uh, intensive treatment, actually, through a NAPRO doctor in California starting in 2018, and uh, we've continued to face uh, the cross of infertility. Um, uh, Now that we're both left active duty, I now see a doctor here in New York State, uh, specifically a NAPRO doctor, Um, but it is something that I feel is largely uh, unrecognized or overlooked, uh, I guess, reality of active duty life specifically for active-duty women. I see. So your husband, Mark Colby, was in the uh, United States Navy. He is, what, uh, retired now? Uh, no, we, we both left uh, active duty well before, uh, like, retirement, uh, which, if you were grandfathered in, that was the 20-year mark. Uh, but we both served o- over seven years active duty. I see. You in the Marine Corps, him in the Navy. And you have been married how long? Uh, well, now uh, over, well, goodness, you put me on the spot here, uh, over six years, uh, going on seven. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you your anniversary date next. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, so the, the uh, any idea of the source of the infertility or is it irrelevant? Was your... You mentioned your husband had served on the submarine duty. Uh, is there any reason to believe that the the source of the infertility is any kind of exposure he might have had in that role? You, you know, that's a great question, Taylor. Um, oftentimes, infertility is just because it affects women in a very unique way. Um, but all that to be said is uh, many, many couples actually have uh, both male and female-related infertility. Uh, in our case, um, it is female-related infertility, meaning it's, um, Mark has, I, I, I said, or I should say, been checked um, and evaluated, and it's, it seems to be more of an issue with, with my uh, physical health. Understood. Uh, which means, of course, that it's not impossible for you to uh, conceive, but uh, you're facing some difficulty at this point. 
Exactly, yes. Tell me, before we get into how you're dealing with this issue, uh, tell me a little bit more about the experience of infertility. It must be extraordinarily frustrating and, and disappointing. What is it like? What what was it first like when you realized you and your husband were having trouble conceiving? I would say uh, it is very easy to feel very isolated. Um, maybe I think it'd be helpful for me to share a story uh, that kind of, I guess, captures uh, some of the, the feelings uh, around infertility. Please do. So it was... I don't recall if it was my husband's first or second deployment, uh, but what's common for a homecoming for submarines is for the families to uh, be pier side as the submarine um, pulls in, so to speak. Uh, and I was one of the, at that point, I was one of the few uh, wives that happened to be active duty. Uh, so that in and of itself was, um, I, I just, in so many ways, couldn't relate to a lot of the other spouses uh, because they were uh, stay-at-home moms and had children. So it was certainly um, a challenge to relate in, in that regard. So when the submarine was scheduled, uh, was finally scheduled to pull in, um, spouses extended family members, significant others, so on and so forth, uh, were, were peer side. And I'm standing there. Uh, I wore, you know, a pretty patriotic dress. Uh, the wind is blowing. And this was at the time uh, down in Point Loma in San Diego. And I recall looking around and seeing uh, women with round bellies, you know, I, I suppose, they had conceived right before their husband had left or brand new babies that had been born while their husbands or, or uh, uh, were on deployment. And and then what really got me was it's a tradition. Uh, I don't know if it's on all types of submarines, but at least for the fast attacks, that there's um, a raffle that to be able to either be the first kiss or the first hug. So the first kiss is often, you know, a wife or a significant other, and the first hug is typically the child of one of the sailors. And it was at that point where, like, the, the child, like, ran up to see their dad as he embarked off the, the boat um, that it really just, you know, just a lot of sorrow, um, feelings of inadequacy, like, am I enough? Um, and of course, you know, Mark is uh, a wonderful man, wonderful husband, and of course embraced me as he finally was able to get off the submarine. Um, but I, I share that story because so many emotions were uh, were experienced in that short amount of time. It was joy, anticipation um, of Mark coming home, but also like feelings of inadequacy and uh really a deep sorrow and i would say even even sentiments of like jealousy like why can't that be me so you're standing dockside and the submarine is docking and someone else the significant other of one of the other sailors on board uh, wins the 
the raffle and uh, is the first to be kissed by the significant other and there's a child who hugs the who hugs the sailor you you observed all this am i drawing the correct inference from your story yes um just to clarify first kiss is like you said significant other and then the first hug is a child of a sailor um so it's like two separate uh two separate occasions I see. Uh, but they happen like right, one right after the other. I see. And so standing there and witnessing that, experiencing what you're going through in terms of your own fertility, that's like uh, bringing it into stark contrast. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, very much so. Uh, okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about springs in the desert. What is springs in the desert? Uh, so springs in the desert is a... Uh, Catholic ministry that I, I find is really unlike any other uh, ministry out there that accompanies uh, couples who face primary infertility, secondary infertility, uh, miscarriage, or infant loss. And the reason I say it's so different is because it, it is all about um, accompaniment and, and helping people to recognize how to be really transformed by Christ and live out uh, both spiritual motherhood and fatherhood and to recognize one's own uh, fruitfulness as well as collectively, like as a married couple, uh, your collective fruitfulness. How did you come in contact with Springs in the Desert? You know, Taylor, I I believe it was actually through social media, um, and perhaps it was just the algorithms that based off <laughs> searching and my interest in Catholic ministries that I uh, came across uh, their website and subsequently signed up for a virtual retreat. And after that, I've been uh, active and involved ever since. I see. Uh, and your husband, Mark, is he also Catholic? Uh, he is. He's actually the cradle Catholic. <laughs> and you all were married in the Catholic Church. Uh, correct, yeah. Uh, okay, so you're married for, what, five or six years. You encounter the problem with infertility. You go online and find springs of the desert and attend a um, retreat. What was that retreat like, and what did you take away from it? And where was it, by the way? Well, it, it was a virtual retreat, um, which is, I, I say, a blessing in that Given that we were at the time stationed in Hawaii, we otherwise would not have been able to go. Um, and it was an Advent retreat, so uh, it's beautiful. The ministry offers uh, retreats for Mother's Day and during the Advent and Lenten season. Uh, and I should clarify, either retreats or some sort of like small group discussion series. Uh, but in this case, it was a retreat with pre-recorded talks. Uh, time built in for reflection and prayer, and it really just opened my eyes to viewing infertility in a different way, um, to be able to see that it's not it's not a means of God punishing me or uh, demonstrating that he loves me any less, um, and, and then to recognize how I've been able to live out and can continue to live out my spiritual motherhood. That's interesting, spiritual motherhood. Tell me more about that. 
Um, well, I, I think it also helps to share how I've lived it out um, or how I've recognized my own spiritual motherhood. Uh, and I'm sure many listeners can't, and maybe you yourself, Taylor, can relate to women uh, in your life that have mothered you in some, in some shape. And I, I would say definitely in my role as a military officer, um, as part of our feminine genius, so to speak, that we have a natural uh, inclination to mother, to nurture, to care for. And I think that that actually was a strength in my ability to, uh, to lead Marines effectively, uh, was not to neglect or overlook that, I, I say that, maternal care and love that I had for, uh, for my Marines. And I, I do believe that that's how I was able to live out my spiritual motherhood on active duty. I see. And uh, now you still are in the um, Marine Reserve, correct? Uh, correct. And yeah. you, you are. You say you're an officer. What is your rank? Uh, captain. I see. Captain of the United States Marine Corps. That's a serious credential. And uh, so you look in your um, military life and see how you have the, the you know, the, the mothering skill. But I suppose uh, in your uh, interaction with uh, other men and women uh, who are experiencing infertility through the springs in the desert, you, you find that uh, uh, other folks to, to whom you can share your mothering, uh, um, what, intuition, gifts, skills, correct? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, the, the co-founder, uh, or co-founders rather, both Anne and, and Kimberly, uh, so I to, to clarify, they are the co-founders of Springs in the Desert, um, I, I consider them spiritual moms uh, to me, um, how they've demonstrated such care, such interest, such accompaniment um, in, my, in my very unique and personal journey. And reading off the website springsinthedesert.org, that's all lowercase one word, springsinthedesert.org, uh, describing its mission, uh, and I'm quoting now, Firmly rooted in the anthropology, ethics, and spirituality of the Catholic Church and our shared experiences of infertility, Springs in the Desert affirms the goodness of marriage, upholds the giftedness of the child, and advocates for a broader understanding of what it means to be life-giving by keeping our focus on Christ, not on conception. We give witness to his divine love and mercy and the goodness of his plan for our lives. Kimberly Colby of the United States Marine Corps, can you unpack that for us? What does all that mean? <laughs> um, well, I, I will say that Anne and Kimberly uh, are, are both have at, at least a master's. Kimberly actually has a doctorate in, in theology. Um, so they, they have a, such an eloquent and beautiful way of unpacking the mystery of infertility. Um, but it I would say in my experience with the ministry, it is to recognize the, the true joy that is to be, uh, to be encountered in carrying the very unique cross of infertility. Uh, to see one's worth and value is not, 
is not because of one's ability to conceive or bear biological children. And it is the unique call of every married couple to bear fruit. And, and sometimes that's a physical reality of the bearing of children. Uh, but regardless of one's ability to conceive, a married couple is called to, to be that light, um, to be truly that the earthly image of the Holy Trinity. Um, and so Springs in the Desert's unique mission is, I, I love what they say, it's not focused on conception, but on Christ. Um, and that is very unique, uh, both in the secular and the Catholic world, where sometimes, or oftentimes, it, most infertility resources are all focused on uh, medical intervention and trying to conceive. Now, for couples who want to have children and can't conceive, uh, it, it would be a cross to bear under any circumstances. But I wonder if there are pressures in the military that make it even more challenging. You know, that's that's a good question, Taylor. I mean, uh, I can only speak from my experience uh, as an active duty as a former active duty Marine, uh, that, and I had access to uh, medical care under, I say, the Department of the Navy because all the personnel were, uh, were Navy. The, uh, the access to, I say, Christ-centered health care, particularly with infertility, in my experience, was lacking. Uh, typically, the workup with infertility, there's a standard workup, which I don't need to go into detail, but after everything is found to be quote-unquote normal, the next, the next step is typically IUI, which means intrauterine insemination, or IVF, which most people are rec- or will recognize that acronym, um, in, in vitro fertilization, neither of which um, are in, I say, in accordance with like, God's will for our lives uh, and for upholding the dignity of human life. Um, so it, I, I try to look at it. Uh, the, the bright side was I had the ability to share um, and explain my reasoning for not wanting or to declare to the doctors and, and medical staff, like, no, this is not an option for me. Um, but in many ways, it felt like the end of the road, like, okay, well, what next? Um, what else can you do for me? And, and oftentimes, uh, if you said no to either IUI or IVF, there wasn't much that they could offer. Kimberly Colby, who, uh, with her husband Mark, is uh, uh, dealing with uh, issues of infertility. Uh, for the listener um, who is you know, facing a similar situation, um, maybe you could kind of help walk us through the, the processes of coming to terms with the, your uh, difficulty conceiving a child. Uh, how, how, you know, how you were able to come to find uh, hope and solace and encouragement and what uh, uh, fellowship in the springs in the desert. And what can that listener do uh, now uh, to... Uh, confront their own 
difficulty conceiving? You know, Taylor, I, I think it's very important to, um, to honor and to acknowledge that infertility is a grief, and it's a very unique grief. Um, I've heard it said that grief is either any sort of loss or change, and the, I suppose the tricky thing to understand, and for those that don't bear this cross, is particularly with primary infertility, meaning that one has not been able to conceive, there's really nothing physical or tangible that you have lost. However, the loss is really in uh, in not in having such an innate and natural desire to be able to bear children to uh, to be a witness to our Lord and to his church um, and and not to be able to to experience that, uh, meaning like biological parenthood, um, that can, that can certainly, uh, that, that needs to be grieved, that needs to be honored. Um, and to recognize that grief is not linear, like you don't, it doesn't mean like you eventually progress and graduate from grief. Um, but I do believe that there's absolutely hope and healing in this journey. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge and honor where you are at. Um, and I, I will share two things. Uh, one from a, I say more uh, accompaniment in psychological mental health and then the other aspect of, of spiritual care. Um, there are wonderful Catholic counselors that are actually specially trained in helping those couples that face infertility. Uh, so I definitely offer that because uh, there is certainly certainly effects on one's mental health and well-being uh, of caring infertility. And from a spiritual aspect, um, I, I know that the Surrender Novena for me was really transformative. Um, and, and again, that, was, that happened at a very pivotal point in, in, I say, my healing journey, uh, but of course, staying close to the sacrament, um, adoration, and, and really, first and foremost, acknowledging, like denying the truth, or excuse me, denying the lies that the devil uh, puts before us, and acknowledging the truth that we are beloved sons and daughters, uh, that we were made in his image and likeness, that he has a beautiful plan for us. Uh, so I, I really do say, like, affirmation of those truths is, and of who our Lord is. He is so good. Um, that is so important in this journey. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, society's values place so much emphasis on the expected, you know, the the, the family of two, the house with the picket fence. Um, but the reality is that uh, that uh, is not uh, everyone's situation at any given time. And uh, I would expect that your journey has been uh, coming to the realization that 
there really is more uh, to life. There, there's more to our faith than just complying with expectations, either our own or those of others or society generally. Oh, that, that's such a beautiful point, Taylor. I mean, you certainly feel it, uh, or I've felt it, uh, felt the pressure in church where um, I share with people how long Mark and I have been married and pretty much, I, and again, I could just be assuming this, but most people are like, well, why don't you have children by now? Or some people outright say, when do you plan on having children? Um, and then from, of course, a secular world, like you said, it's very much... Um, Well, and in some cases, it's almost even more hurtful. Like, I, I'm part of a generation where uh, women are delaying and even choosing, quote-unquote, not to have children. And that's, in many ways, even more hurtful uh, because some people may assume, like, oh, they don't want children when, in fact, the reality is, is the opposite. Yeah, I hear you. So what can the couple uh, in the similar situations you are do uh, do you recommend they uh, get hold of uh, springs in the desert uh, is there anything else you could advise them to do well um given that every person's uh, journey is very unique and uh, a couple can discern whether they want to continue uh, or even initiate medical intervention um at least for I mean, this is probably a longer or maybe even a different conversation, but certainly look into uh, a local uh, NAPRO doctor. Um, you can do a quick Google search. I think there's a directory um, where you can find, and I should explain what NAPRO is. Uh, I, I'm used to throwing out acronyms all the time. Uh, NAPRO stands for Natural Procreative Technology. And uh, these are doctors that have chosen to go through additional training and basically to help uh, couples conceive naturally. Um, and so certainly from a medical side, uh, if the couple discerns like, yes, medical intervention is desired and uh, a good step, I certainly recommend that. Uh, but regardless of whether one has received a diagnosis which they'll never be able to have children or maybe it's male-related infertility uh, where a man has zero or very low sperm. Um, wh whatever circumstances springs in the desert welcomes, uh, I say, all couples or if, even if it's just the woman um, or the man in the relationship welcomes everyone. And I saw I saw so many different people uh, in the last Lenten group series that we had, which was virtual. In the small groups, I saw so many different types of couples. Um, a couple that was postmenopausal, uh, couples that were still trying but not uh, no longer pursuing medical treatment couples that dealt with male-related infertility. One woman had uh, ovarian cancer at a young age, so will, will not be able to conceive children. 
Um, so that that was really beautiful to be able to witness. Every everyone is welcome. I see. I've been talking to Kimberly Colby, a United States Marine Corps captain, and we're talking about the uh, issues of infertility. She and her husband, uh, Mark, formerly of the United States Navy, have been uh, confronting. Um, Kimberly, thank you so much for talking to me. And uh, do you have any parting thoughts for the couple out there that is uh, trying to conceive but so far not able to? I would share that uh, you are not alone, um, that the Lord holds you very, very close, um, that he wants to enter uh, and, and heal and heal these wounds um, and draw you closer to him and, and to seek out community, uh, such as in the Kimberly Colby of the United States Marine Corps Reserve, thank you so much for talking to me today. And um, I should mention in parting that uh, springsinthedesert.org is the place to get more information online about this ministry, Springs in the Desert, for folks encountering difficulty conceiving. Kimberly, thank you again. Thank you, Taylor. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.